Quadrant and Favourite Star, you're with SFM 104-107. It's quarter past seven on a Saturday morning. Hope you're up, hope you're working on that first cup of coffee and uh, that your day is going to be a good one. So if anybody has looked at a map of Africa recently, a temperature map of Africa, you would have seen that there was the swathe of red across Africa, which fed quite dramatically into southern Africa as well, and for us, into South Africa as well. And South Africans, in fact, have been experiencing heat stress more often than they have in the past. To try and find out what's going on, actually, why it is so untenably hot, and anybody who's been in Joburg over the last couple of days, or even anywhere else in the country. Last weekend, I was in the Eastern Cape in Hamburg uh, at the Kaiskama project, and I have to say, it was sweltering. Thank goodness there was a sea to swim in as well. But to give us a bit more information on that, Jennifer Fitchett is an Associate Professor of Physical Geography at the School of Geography, Archaeology and Environmental Studies at the University of the Witwatersrand. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. So what is actually happening? If you had to simplify it down to Geography 101, for those of us who want to try and understand why it is too darn hot, what's going on? Sure. So what we have uh, dominant over the interior at the moment, and it's covering a very large area, is a high-pressure system. And when our air is subsiding, it gets warmer and warmer as it moves closer to the ground. And it also traps then the hot air over the interior region. So in very simplistic terms, we have this very dominant system sitting over our region. And that's trapping the heat and intensifying the heat. Um, And through time, then, if we have a movement in that high-pressure system, it then allows for cooler air to move in and for, for all of that hot air to rise up. But at the moment, that's being prevented. So why is this happening There are a number of reasons why we get heat wave events, which is what we're experiencing at the moment, um, and why we get high pressure systems. We experience a high pressure over the interior during the summer months quite frequently. But for it to be a dominant high pressure and to remain for quite a while is a factor of what's happening in our ocean and atmosphere systems and how they interplay with each other. Also a factor of much bigger scale uh, interannual variability. So we've moved into a second La Nina. Jennifer? And so that also... Sorry, Jennifer, we we lost you at the La Nina. So La Nina, there's La Nina and La Nino. And I wonder if you could just explain those two things to our listeners. Sure. So... Together, the La Nina and the El Nino form part of the uh, El Nino Southern Oscillation System. And that describes a phenomenon over the um, Pacific Equatorial region. So we have the movement of air and moisture across the Equatorial Pacific. Because of the size of the ocean basin, it allows for much greater movement of air and of uh, ocean currents than we'd have in the other ocean basins. And it creates two different phases. The El Nino phase is a phase where we have the um, suppression of what is called normal conditions. And that then intensifies our uh, levels of uh, warming in that Pacific area. In the La Nina, we have an intensification of the upwelling system. 
And so the two of those create very localized effects over the Pacific Ocean, but they create effects around the rest of the world uh, via what we call teleconnections. So our air systems that move across much larger areas, we've got a, a tricellular circulation which involves our easterlies and westerlies, that can transfer those heat differentials to other regions. And our thermohaline circulation in our oceans um, carries warm water and cool water to different areas, um, either on the surface or underneath um, uh, the surface of the water. So we move some of this heat around. What happens in the Pacific then has a knock-on effect to us here in um, Southern Africa. And it has that effect not through just a generic warming or cooling for those El Nino and La Nina phases, yeah. but it plays out through the types of synoptic systems or climate systems that we experience. So we would likely then have um, drought events during our El Ninos, flood events during our La Nina, uh, the Durban floods last year are a feature of that. But it can also then have influences on how often we have heat waves and how often we're likely to experience other forms of climate extremes such as tropical cyclones. You know, what's interesting about this, and we have to go to a break, but when we come out of the break, is I think we forget how we think, okay, it's boiling hot in South Africa, the sun is shining down on us, it's hot. But what we always forget is how it's this entire system of the world. It's how the oceans are moving in. It's how um, we get this dome, which is like trapping the hot, the hot air over us. I mean, once one starts to think of it, you just realize how tiny the world is. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what this means for you and me. Michelle Constant on SAFM. 721 you are with SAFM 104 to 107. We're talking about the heat wave that uh, South Africa and the Southern African region has been experiencing. And on the line, we've got uh, Associate Professor of Physical Geography, Jennifer Fitchett, just talking to us about what is it that is actually happening and why it's actually happening as well. What's great about it is that once you start to explain it in simple terms, you do start to get a sense of what's going on. Jennifer, is this a situation that um, could get worse? And what does that mean for us as human beings? Because we can only take um, temperature to a certain degree before our bodies start breaking down, don't they? Yes, that's correct. So, I mean, in answer to a question about whether it's likely to happen more often or more intensely, uh, already uh, one of my co-authors on this paper, Dr. Dr. Adrian van der Valt, his PhD looked at the incidence of heatwave events and he found that for many regions of South Africa, we're already experiencing a greater incidence of heat waves and more severe heat waves. Yeah. And there are some regions which are also experiencing increased incidence of cold waves on the other extreme. And it's important to realize that in a warming world, we do still get extreme cold as well. Um, but certainly over the last four decades, we're experiencing uh, heat waves more often. We're experiencing more intense heat waves, and it's part of a global phenomenon. So the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, in their most recent assessment report, they spoke to projections for 
increased incidence and severity of a number of extreme climate events, including heat waves. I mean, it's interesting what- that you it's interesting that you say that because I was talking to a friend yesterday or a few days ago, and he was saying it had been eight degree minus eight degrees minus eight degrees in London, and I was like thinking, how is that even possible? I don't think I've ever known London to be that cold. I'm sure it must have been cold like that in the past, but certainly in my lifetime, I don't remember it being ever that cold. So it does feel as though the extremities are being pushed. Yes, absolutely. And and that's because in a warmer world, it's, we have these knock-on impacts on our ocean atmosphere system. So it's not just that we have a 1.1 degree post-industrial warming, but that it's influencing all of our climate systems and how intense those are and uh, the strength of the winds, the pressure systems, um, and that can, in certain uh, circumstances, result in extreme cold as well as extreme heat. So what does that mean for us? How far, so can, how you, far can our bodies experience and take what they take? Um, you know, it means, does, what does it mean in terms of being outside? What does it mean in terms of being in a non-air-conditioned space? What does it mean in terms of people who have to work outside, yeah. on farms perhaps? Yeah, so... Uh, very recently in this heat wave, there have been, unfortunately, a, a number of deaths on farms um, in South Africa as a result of people being exposed to heat for prolonged periods of time. And this is why in, in the study that we've recently done, we're, we're using what are called biometrological indices that measure not just temperature, but what is called effective temperature. So we combine the effects of temperature, humidity, wind, uh, radiant heat to understand the heat that we are feeling as humans and our physiological response to that. Um, Some of these indices have very clear guidelines attached to them that if we exceed a certain effective heat, we need to increase our water intake to every half hour or every 15 minutes. It has indications in terms of how long we need to be resting within an hour's period of working in this heat. And a lot of work that's coming out, uh, particularly of some of the heat labs in the United States, are really speaking to trying to change the way that we work so that there is a break in the hottest time of the day, especially for construction workers, for agricultural workers who are exposed to this heat. Because we aren't able to survive through large um, experiences of thermal discomfort over long periods. So in closing, Jennifer, you have spoken about what people need to do. Are we going to see this get worse? And so do we need to really start figuring out where we carry our water bottles, etc.? Yes. So projections from the IPCC suggest an intensification of, of both extreme heat events and uh, increases in thermal discomfort. So it does mean that we need to be thinking about carrying water around with us. We need to be making climate-sensitive building designs so that we're able to reduce heat strain indoors without the use of air conditioning. In South Africa, I don't think an air conditioner helps most of us right now with load shedding. And we need to start thinking about how we're able to engage with our space at what times of the day to make sure that we minimize our risk to heat stress. Jennifer Fitch, thank you so much for joining us. Jennifer, have you ever donated blood? I'm not unfortunately able to donate blood. I have an autoimmune condition. Okay. All right. Then you're off the hook, so to speak. (laughs) That's Associate Professor of Physical Geography, School of Geography, Archaeology and Environmental Affairs. Quick voice note on this one with regards to what we've just been talking about. Morning, Michelle and team. 
Um, I'd love, to, I don't think this will get you quick enough while she's still on the show, but I'd also like to ask her, our planet is 4.6 billion years old and the, the last ice age was only 25,000 years ago. Apart from what man ha is doing to the environment, couldn't it be that we're just heading for a next, I don't know what you call it, an eon change or a period change or an age change in, in, the, in the life of the earth? Jenny Grafenet. Interesting question, Jenny, and if we can uh, get Jennifer, we'll ask her the question offline and maybe get that question for her as well. Oh, she's still on the line. Jen I am still on the line. Ah, Jennifer, <laughs> you heard that then. So the question is, could we just be going into another shift change? So two answers to that. Um, my PhD is actually in paleoclimate, so I have looked at climate change and reconstructed this over long-term periods. And we are very certain within the fields of both paleoclimate and in contemporary climatology that the rate of change is unprecedented. So yes, we have had warm periods and we've had cool periods, glacials and interglacials, but the rate at which things are shifting is unprecedented. And that means that the ability for us as humans to adapt, for plants and animals to adapt, is compromised because things are happening so quickly. And then the second answer that uh, many of my colleagues often give, and so I am paraphrasing from them here, is to say that we as humans uh, weren't surviving under some of the warmest periods before. And so do we, even if, it, even if it were to be entirely a natural phase in a natural system, and there is evidence that that's not the case, but even if it were, would we want to be going into that blind? Or should we be going into a warmer climate and a warmer future, which the models are, are very clear on, with the best adaptation strategy so that we are able to mitigate the types of death from heat stress that have just been experienced in farms in the Northern Cape. Jennifer Fitchett, thank you so much for answering that question. Associate Professor of Physical Geography, School of Geography at the uh, School of Geography, Archaeology and Environmental Studies at the University of Witwatersrand.